to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, well, hi everyone. I was smiling during the worship, and I'll tell you why. It's so fun to see a community uncomfortable in a church building. You are a lot more comfortable in a club or a pub. How does that work? Explain that to me. Coffee's good. Coffee's good. Coffee's good. It's so fun to see you in a building like this, which is kind of designed for the religious, and to see people who have found a spiritual journey of honesty and integrity and stumble your way by God's default and put you in this building. Isn't that fun? Isn't that wonderful to see how God's surprises work? All right, here's a disclaimer up front. Meryl and I handed over the two churches we've led, and every Sunday we're in a different church somewhere in the world. Now, I'm an idiot if I think I can always switch hats well. Last night, I was uh, with Redemption Church. I took my 13-year-old son, and we went up to Big Bear where we did a men's event, a men's camp. And at midnight last night, I came in, and my son stumbled his way into bed, and I debriefed with Meryl and my daughter, who had just done a gig in a club in L.A., and we quickly debriefed what was it like, what happened, told a few stories, and landed in this morning. So I feel about this morning a little bit like I felt probably... Uh, let me guess, 18 years ago. Here's the story. Meryl was away for some reason. I can't remember whether she was ministering somewhere or whatever the case may be. I, two, I have two daughters. They were then about five and seven approximately. They had a ballet recital. So I had to take these two little girls in their little ballet outfits with the shoes and the stockings and the little frocks, the little skirts, the little tutus or heaven knows whatever they are. So we arrive backstage now and I am the only dad present. All the other mothers are doing their hair. Both of my girls have long hair and have got pins and I, I don't even know today what I'm supposed to have, never mind 18 years ago. And I, sat, I, I stood there looking at these, the mop of their hair and all the mothers going away and makeup and everything. And my, my discomfort was so obvious that one of the mothers very courteously came and said, do you need help? And, and I wanted to say, well, how did you know? I mean, was it that obvious, you know? And she helped me and the girls danced beautifully, I'm sure. My prejudiced eyes would have said that. And as, as I was thinking during the worship this morning, I want to do one of those moments where I want to draw you into three stories, and I hope they make sense. I don't like taking a, a message that I've preached around and preach it again. I really want to know, what is God saying to the garden, especially at this time? The number of years you've been going, the concentration that you have here in Long Beach, the, 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 the transition from the club kind of pub area into a building like this. What is God on about? For you as a community, what is God doing in your life as individuals and what is God doing with you as couples? And so those are my three strands. Those are the three stories I want to walk you through today from the text. And hopefully we can get some hairstyle that looks at least reasonable in all of this. That's my responsibility. What's yours? Can I ask you to lean into the moment? It was so funny. 
being with Redemption Church with the guys. There were 55 guys up in the mountains. And it's the first time that church ever had a men's time away. They booked four houses. We all kind of scrummed down together in one. And true to the guys, there were knives of various sizes for uh, rewards. In fact, the most vulnerable guy award went with the biggest knife. So the guy who was most vulnerable would get the biggest knife as, as his prize. I mean, it's really random. I know you girls don't get it at all. But we did because there was, there was cigars and, and uh, meat. And, and, and uh, it was all the good things that guys enjoy, I'm told. But I watched as the men, as the guys arrived, my son turned to me and says, Hey, Dad, I've never seen as many hipsters in one room before, you know. He hasn't been here, obviously. And, um, <laughs> and I watched as men initially arrived, very cool, shooting hoops. And, and as the time went by, it was just about 36 hours, but as the time went by and we realized community is a safe place when we let God in, how slowly but surely men opened their hearts to see what God would do with them. And that's my appeal to you. My job is to try and plait your hair around three stories. Your job is to engage me, but more importantly, engage the one who is the lover of your soul, who is the healer of your limp, who is the one who will tidy up the fringes and the fragilities of your life and make sense of it all. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go to three stories. And uh, worst case scenario, we're going to leave for lunch in about 45 minutes. That's the worst that can happen. The best that can happen is that God will meet all of us, including me. So can we pray? We'll go to the Scriptures. We thank you for these moments of honesty, transparency. Thank you that they are not moments of ritual or repetition, each unique. There is man's scripted agenda but then there is an overriding sense of what is it you, Sovereign Lord, are on about today? What is it, Jesus, that that gospel peace will apply into hearts and bring about transformation? And then, Holy Spirit, you who are that part of the Godhead dwelling amongst us, even now as you touch and you move and you embrace and you comfort and you reveal, would you have open hearts and open hands ready to receive all that you desire to do with us. We open our hearts and hands. Please come in. Please speak. There are big decisions in this room. Men and women have got some big decisions to make. And how can we make them unless we know and are persuaded you, the Sovereign Lord, are invested and involved in them in Jesus' name. Amen. While we were away, and I'm sorry to keep referencing it, but it's kind of really cool and, and, and fresh for me. Um, uh, I, I was reminded of that Denzel Washington movie, and I'm sorry I can't remember the name, but where it's a runaway train. It came out about two years ago. Does anyone remember? Okay, that's the one. And, um, and, and, and there's this, this, this whole region focuses in as a train loses its, its sense of direction and, and control and Denzel Washington with, with some other really brave people ultimately bring it to a, um, a standstill. And I realized driving up the hill to be with the men yesterday, how many men are in that exact place right now? God in his sovereign wisdom, gentlemen and ladies, God has a story for all of our lives. It's a wonderful story. 
It's a powerful story. It's an expansive story as we'll, just, we'll see in just a moment. For every one of our lives, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, the Scripture says. The Scripture says that before, I love that word, before I formed you in the womb, before your mom and dad came together in intimacy, whether it's your biological parents, whether, I mean, or they were just lovers in, in, in a moment of unabashed lust or affection or marriage, and you will see that God was involved in creating a story for you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I consecrated you, which is a, a fancy word for I chose you, I set you apart. I have a specific and unique story for you. And then the enemy comes. And he rips up the handbrake, and forgive my lack of train language, and, 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 he, and he removes all stoppers and brakes from our story and sets us on a careering journey. Whenever you feel out of control, I want you to know that is not God. God may surprise and overwhelm, but God will never produce chaos. God will never be the one who, 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 for whom the train loses its tracks. And I realized as I was meditating on it over the last while and thinking of the different places we've been. Meryl and I went to Toronto two weeks ago and I'm in Texas next week. And I realized how many men and women are wrestling with the fact that the track they're on, they don't want to be on that track. The problem is when a train leaves a track, it's normally going to career into destruction. And every time we leave the great and glorious track of the sovereign God who loves us so much that He's got the best track available for us, we will career into chaos, pain, heartache. And I realized even gatherings like this morning and the songs we've sung and the message that we're preaching, we are helping you and we're helping each other stay on the track of God's divine intention. A track on its course is magnificent. The rhythmic, the rhythmic sound of a train on a journey, the beauty that careers past us, the landscape, the mountainside that we stand and stare at, the, 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 the ocean as we, as we kind of career our way, Annecy in, in France, this incredibly beautiful lake. Everything is just spectacular and pristine and clean and tidy. And you catch the train as it goes around the lake and you're captivated by the beauty because a train on its track is a train living its author's intention. So with that in mind, Grab your Bibles, if you don't mind, if you don't have one, I think there are a few around. Ushers, I'm sure, will help you. And I'm going to really be good to you today. I want you to go to the very first chapter of the book. He said, Chris, well, I'm not really acquainted with the Scripture. Let's go to the beginning and let's find out what it says. Genesis chapter 1. I'm reading from the ESV. If there's another translation on the board, enjoy the complementary interpretation or translation. And then God said, verse 26, God said, let us, Genesis 1, right in the beginning, and in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Notice the rich plurality. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit journeying together. The great dance of the ages. You know why I love preaching? If you hear me preach much, almost every time I will reference the beauty of these first three chapters. Because I love what they teach us about God. I love the sense of community that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
had such exquisite unity, had such profound love. We were authored out of perfect love that has filled the ages. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in what C.S. Lewis calls the great dance of eternity. They were dancing together, the picture is in my mind, and one day they stopped and they said, this is just too good to keep to ourselves. We want others to experience unity indescribable. Love, endless. Beauty without limit. Partnership, empowering. And so they created man in God's image. And every time we engage on a new conversation, we go back to these first few verses to be reminded of what God had in mind. Meryl and I have been married 32 years. I want to tell you, they have been glorious years. Without problem, you're kidding me? Of course we have. But I'm so grateful to God that He keeps burrowing us into this text, mesmerizing us with the mystery of marriage. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the landscape and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. The NIV says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, what bearing does that have on us, Chris? Well, let me try and explain a couple of things. Number one, personally, I love the fact that God puts four components in every one of us. He he puts in us the desire to increase. Now, that isn't by weight. Donuts that add lavish to the width of our capacity. But that sense there's more to me than meets the eye. Multiply, where God takes one plus one and then He multiplies them out just as a family. Increase, multiply, fill the earth and have dominion. Let me bring the application quickly. If we take those four words, increase, multiply, fill the earth and have dominion, it's a little bit like a church plant. In the first years of a church plant, let me try and give, me, give you a hybrid American accent. Church plant. I always feel so false when I say that. Church plant. I mean, you know you had a garden that planted plants. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. In a church plant, in the first three to five years, it's a little bit like new kids. It's where the few serve the many. You come into the community... And there are the 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 12, 15, maybe 20 who are the staunch, who are the core, who are the passionate. And they anchor themselves into a new context. And that context finds them laboring with a sweat of their brow. They sleep little. They stress much. They love volumes. They do everything. They lead the worship. Then they run and do the kids' ministry. They welcome at the door. Then they pray in the prayer meeting. There's the few that does the much. And it's just like a family. met a wonderful lady in the corridor at the kids' ministry. Her, her one child is like a year and a month, I think, and the other one's just been born. And I just, I just looked at her. I said, you're having fun, aren't you? And she said, well, something like, well, it's not quite the word I would use, but... Uh, <laughs> You see, that's what happens with a church plant. Those first three to five years where where you've got all these kids and there's lots of noise and lots of demands. Darren, can I have a coffee? Alex, can I have a coffee? And so it goes with the church plant. 
But there comes that time when after three years or thereabouts, it changes from church to church, where like a family, we now move from the few serving the many, where the child says, you all live for my benefit, to now suddenly you enter into the conversation, we are mutually beneficial. So I hear all the announcements. You know what I hear with the announcements? I hear two things. I hear number one, this is the church that's moving out of its church planting phase into we will mutually benefit each other, great sense of community, and everyone contributing. Everyone contributing. The first phase is increase, where the few serve the many. The many feel entitled, rightfully so, that everyone lives for my benefit. But then there comes that invisible moment As you know with your family, when you start sitting your kids down, you say, you know what, I think you can tidy your room. It's not mommy's job to pick up the toys all the time. And there's the round shoulders and the... I remember we had a driveway in South Africa that went down the side of the house. It was downhill and then it edged off into a little garden, not a big grassed area. And I remember standing one day, the sun was going down and, and the girls had been going down on their tricycles, screaming on the driveway, turning at the bottom onto the grass, which slowed them down. And they did, um, had incredible energy to do it over and over again. And then I stood out. <whistles> bath time. They looked at me. Bring the tricycle. Oh, I'm so tired, Dad. <laughs> I'm so tired, Dad. Translated into all you hipsters, Darren, we got no margin. I'm so tired. See? Well, I just stood there and smiled and said, I got it, I got it. Well, the bath's waiting as soon as you come up with your tricycle. I can't, Dad. I can't. Waiting right here for you. Bring that tricycle, come and put it away, and you can bath. Why? Because there comes the time where the few don't serve the many, but we all become mutually responsible. That is the time a church moves from an infant baby church. And folks, there are many large baby churches where the few who are salaried are still serving the many, and the many still expect the few to go and fetch their tricycles. I want to throw my toys out, and you go and pick up my toys and put them back in my basket. And we move from increase to multiply from that first phase of the church planter into that second phase where we are now community doing life together. Can I just talk for a moment? I'm a dad. If you want to know what my ministry is, I'm a dad. that's, That's as fancy as my ministry is. But I love going into churches and speaking as a father to help pop people's eyes open. Some of you, if I can say this with honesty, are still little kids living in adult bodies. You've come to Jesus. You even decide to come to a community with some regularity. But you never get to the place of saying, you know what, I will fetch the tricycle. I will be the one who puts the toys back into the basket. And one of the things megachurches do so badly is they leave thousands of people still living in the few to bless the many. And you have this great moment, dear friends. And I do chuckle as I look around the room. I don't feel like I'm talking to the garden. I want to say, can someone just blow some cigar smoke in here so I can feel at home? I just want to feel like it's you, you know. I don't feel like, can the real garden please stand up? Because this doesn't feel normal to me right now. But but folks, I want to speak into that for just a moment and say to you, don't be those who are always infants, who always believe that others exist to serve you. Where did we get that from? It doesn't exist in the home, or it shouldn't. 
It certainly doesn't exist in community like this, where we start off the new believer, where everyone comes to serve them, and rightfully so, and then pretty soon they put up their hands. Funny story. We were at the, uh, uh, sitting in the hot tub yesterday. I wasn't in it. I'd just gone, we'd gone for a crazy hike. And one of the guys says, you know, the first Sunday I arrive at Redemption, first Sunday, Phil, the pastor, walks up to him with a clipboard and he says, Hi, how you doing? My name's Phil. He says, My name's Gabriel. He says, Hi, Gabriel. He puts a clipboard in his hand. He says, So where are you going to serve? And Gabriel's like, It's my first Sunday. Well, see, yeah, that's fine. Where, where are you going to serve? And there's this, Well, so if I come to this community, I serve. Yep, that's what you do. Okay. And he signed himself up because it becomes the new normal. Are you with me? In this new exciting adventure of the garden story, God is calling some of you out to pick up the clipboard and say, absolutely. And I prepared this in the early hours of this morning before I knew of Darren's appeal for those to serve with the children. You know what? There are single ladies aplenty in Long Beach, I'm guessing. I don't know the statistics. But, but you know what their kids need? Their kids need a safe environment where men will play with them, sing with them, wrestle with them, teach them, read to them. Because if they're not going to get it here, where will they get it? We had a 38-year-old pastor, big football player, African-American brother I loved deeply, who loved me deeply. He died in three days of leukemia. It just blew us out the water. We were just absolutely ill-surprised. But one of the most magnificent things about the community is that somehow there was one or two men, that he had four kids, Three girls, his son had just been born, this gorgeous Miles who's just like his dad, a big hugger and lover and a kisser. And the thing that I loved about our community without anyone organizing it, it was almost as if there was one or two men that attached themselves to each child. So when Sophia went to play softball, there was a man or two from the community, come on, Sophia, yeah, yeah. Why? It's because we live to mutually benefit each other. So Miles thinks this is the most fabulous family he's ever been part of because he will probably run into the arms this morning of any of 20 or more men and he will jump into their arms and they will hug him and ruffle his hair. Now he's getting a bit cool. He's about six years old and he's got the cool clothes and sneakers on but he will jump in and there will probably be 20 men that will love him and hug him and rest. Come on, Miles, what's up? And he will give some little chirpy because ladies and gentlemen, a church has moved from the few ministering to the many to us mutually benefiting each other and that's what the text had in mind. Increase, multiply and out of that mutual ownership comes the greatest component of it all and that is fill the earth. Fill the earth. In five years' time, many of you seated here will be in London or in Paris or in New York. But seated in the community spirit of the garden where you've grown to love and be sacrificial and kind and generous and expansive. There comes that moment where you're brought up here in front of everyone and Darren says, listen guys, I don't know, Sarah and Tom have really felt in God to move to New York. Can we bless them? And then the Facebook goes and Twitter goes. And there's the sense of the, the peace of the garden that's now in New York. There's a peace of the garden that's now in Saudi Arabia. There's a peace of the garden that's now in Singapore. And that's when we know we've moved from a church that exists. Everyone just wants to benefit themselves to a church that mutually benefits each other and then enters into that great 
third component, which is fill the earth, where you begin to seed men and women from this community to multiply lots of little gardens around the world. My eldest daughter and her husband lead a church in Perth, Australia. It nearly kills us. Every FaceTime or Skype, we have to push the little red button to say goodbye and our grandkids go... My daughter's 26. She's having her fourth baby now. Meryl's going over for a month in April. 26. Church plant. Please don't tell me you don't have margins. Please. We always have margins for the things we love. Always. A human being is wired that way. And when you fall wildly in love with Jesus and his girl, there's always margins. My daughter, and I forgive me for being a proud pops, I am. She's 26. It's her fourth baby. Her eldest is six. In that time, they moved country. They moved culture. They planted a church in downtown Perth, and they don't have offices. So most of the meetings happen in their home, and she cooks for those meetings. And she's a worship leader. Don't tell me there's no margins. We have margins for the things we love, and we love Jesus, and we love his girl. Look at the faces here. I know some of your stories. And if my heart leaps and warms at some of your great stories of healing and restoration and reconciliation and marriages that have rediscovered each other and kids that are jumping onto dad's laps because dad wasn't here a month ago, six months ago, how much greater is God's love for this girl called the garden? Are you with me? Now, oh my gosh, look at the clock. The enemy hates that despises the notion of increase, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. And he will do whatever he can to shrink that. Do you know that? So what does he do? He comes to Adam and to Eve and he says, listen, remember that tree God said, don't eat of? Now what should Adam have done? He, said, he should have said, Satan, what are you talking about? The tree? What are you talking about? God put us on the mountaintop like we were at Castle Rock at Big Bear yesterday. And there's this incredible vista of endless horizons, blue mountain after blue mountain. He should have said, Satan, I don't know what you're talking about. God has given this incredible horizon that just keeps rolling one after the other after the other. And and he says, oh, oh, what tree? Oh, the tree of good and evil. You see, God doesn't really want you. And he goes off and he begins to subtly chisel away at this great big story God put Adam and Eve on. And he does the same to you and me. Been a Christian since the age of 18, I'm 54, that's 30 many years. And I've watched person after person as God speaks prophetically and prayerfully. God speaks a big, wonderful adventure. And I watch the enemy come and say, hmm, I saw you with pornography the other night. So next time you come into worship, your eyes are downcast a little bit, heads down a little bit, and you hope no one can see because your hands are dirty, your heart's dirty, your eyes and mind's dirty, and you think, well, you know what, I'll, do, I'll just sit and worship today. I won't really worship because God won't actually accept my worship. And the enemy says, I've got you. i got you, sucker. I've taken a great story of increase, multiply, fill the earth. I've given you this incredible story. And the, and, and the enemy says, I've shrunk her down to a moment or an event or an occasion. Where are you? 
What's the tree that the enemy has access to in your life? What's that moment, that event, or that person that's damaged you? I sat in Perth two, three years ago, Perth, Australia, in a coffee shop. My son, son in law, sat to the left of me. A kid called Joshua, 20 something year old worship leader. But across the way from me was a man who was my mentor when I was a worship leader. He's homeless. He busks to make a living. And he probably is one of the most amazing evangelists I ever saw and worked with on the streets of Durban, South Africa. We used to go and preach on the streets together. And Barry's a broken man because 30 years ago something happened that shrunk an amazing evangelist. We sat in that coffee shop and he wept as he told the story of the last 30 years of drug abuse, sexual abuse, every form of abuse and excess as you can imagine. Why? Because the enemy got it right to take him from increase, multiply, fill the earth to there is a tree, a person, a moment, an event that has shrunk me. Now, dear friends, I haven't got anywhere today. I had three stories. I've told one. I told you I'm not, a, I'm not good at this. I'm not trying to be funny, but if I've heard God right, and I, I really wrestled to preach this because I feel like I preach this, this text everywhere I go, but if I did hear God correctly, then there are two possible implications. Number one, that God wants you to see the transition that's happening at the garden. Not the few serving the many anymore. It's a community of mutual benefit where we all put up our hands. I put my computer on the stage. I won't refer to it because I got some statistics from one of our church planters in Houston. They've just got a building. We were there for the opening. They get about 183 average adults on a Sunday. They have 167 of those 183 in life groups. They have 100 and... I don't even remember the exact number. They have something like 140 of the 180 on serve teams. I smiled when I saw that. Called them. No, they don't have thousands. But they have moved from a community of the few serving the many to the many mutually benefiting each other. And that is a healthy God community. That's the first part. The second part is this. I have to say I'm a little surprised by the emphasis God's brought this morning on the tree. I wanted to take you to Joseph. I wanted to take you to Priscilla and Aquila. But maybe it's a moment worth just lingering in prayer. My time is up. But I want to plead with you this morning. Paul says, I plead with you. It's an apostolic heart. Please don't leave here today with the tree of your life firmly embedded and implanted in you. You know what amazed me this weekend? Didn't know many of the men. First time I was away with them all. How many of them went to Vanguard, to Biola, to some other Christian school? I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm going to be a this. I'm going to be a that. And now they skip 10 years down the road and so few of them are there. And I listened. This is very interesting. 
And I realized that several things had happened that had derailed them from the purposes of God for their life. So I do wonder this morning, is that true of some of you? That you're not on the track that God desired for you. I love this woman. I love her passionately. But I have to tell you, God took two people together because he had a single track, a single mission for us. We have nothing in common outside of Jesus. Meryl doesn't love sport like I do. She's English. I'm of a Dutch-German background. I can go on and go on and go on. But you see, God never said, I will make the two one so that you have warm and fuzzies, so that, you know, you, whatever your thinking may be. God said, I would bring a man and a woman together who will be glorious on mission together. I was supposed to fly to Toronto, and I phoned the pastor. I said, Meryl's going to be in Australia. Do you mind if I come up and bring my boy with? We'll do a father-son kind of cross-country thing. And there was this quiet on the other side of the, voice, uh, the phone, and he, he paused and he said, Actually, Chris, if Meryl doesn't come, do you mind not coming? I'm getting, I'm picking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting the story right here. Why? Because God puts a man and a woman together on mission. You're on mission together. It's not like billiard balls, you bump into each other every now and again, and hopefully, initially it's twice a week, then hopefully it's every once a week you make love. Is that what God intended? Is that the mystery and the beauty of marriage? No, it's on mission together. God puts the two of you on two tracks together. And the enemy will grab a moment or an event, something said, and he'll slowly chisel away at the marriage until the two tracks start doing that. Instead of saying, no, we're going to grab that moment. You know when you hurt me, babe? You know when, well, actually it's more this way. But Meryl would say, Chris, you know when you hurt me? I'm not going to let that moment become a tree that shrinks our world to something you said you did. I'm not going to let that happen. We're going to stay on God's two tracks upon which this train will ride. Let's pray together. It seems like the Holy Spirit is zeroing in on two things. The one is the shift that God requires from an infant church where the few serve the many to a childlike church where we begin to mutually serve each other. Pick up your tricycle and put it away. Mommy's not going to put it away for you anymore. And if that is true for some of you that God requires you to settle some things, can I ask, that in the simplicity of where you seek it today, you can say, God, I hear you. I've wanted to live in the baby church phase. But we're not that church anymore. We're not yet adult. But you are placing us in a story of mutual responsibility. And today I want to settle my role in that. I'm going to hand over to Darren in just a moment and he can correct anything I've said in that regard for sure. But secondly, 
If I've heard God right, and some of you have been shrunken around a tree, a person, an event, an occasion, and that preoccupies your life, and you've lost the big picture. You've lost the big story. You're not even sure you can trust God for a big global gospel adventure anymore. I want to say to you today with absolute personal conviction, not because I'm a preacher, because I'm a human being just like you, that the gospel comes in and the gospel liberates us. The gospel removes the pain of that moment or that person or that event and replaces it with glorious grace. Glorious, wondrous grace. What Jesus has done is sufficient. He will take your sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west. He not only removes them in forgiveness, but He forgets them by sovereign choice. We were driving down the hill last night. My boy, my 13-year-old son who went with me said, isn't that amazing, Dad, that God chooses to forget our sins? And I knew of which occasion he was speaking. Last summer, something went down that wasn't good. And he said, Dad, isn't it amazing that God forgets my sin? I put my hand on his leg and I said, yes, my boy. It's the mystery of grace that God will never bring it up again. He said, Dad, I I thought that that disqualified me for the rest of my life. Can you believe a 13-year-old that I've been disqualified from the rest of my life? He said, it's so amazing. I said, yes, it is, my boy. God will never bring that up with you ever again. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.